Praise the Lord. Amen. Do you feel the same sweet spirit in this house that I'm feeling this morning? Isn't God good? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, choir. You did an excellent job today leading us to the throne room of God. And thank you to the guys up in the crow's nest who do such a wonderful job week after week after week. They're up there away from everybody else, but they are as engaged probably as anybody in the building because they have to be. They have to know where we're going, how we're going to get there, and they get us there. And so we appreciate you guys up there. And I appreciate you this morning. I thank you for being here today. I love the way this building looks today because the brown seats are going away little by little. I love that. I love that. <clears throat> and just before the young people left, there were more of these brown seats that were covered. And I'm praying that before this fall sets in real good, that we'll have to set some more chairs out so that we can accommodate the crowd that is going to come to us. The Lord is building the church. It's His responsibility to do it. We work along with Him. We have a responsibility to witness and invite. And when we do that, He will bring the right people at the right time into the body of believers. So thank you for all that you do. I want to take just a moment and thank you for your generous giving. A couple of weeks ago, uh, I had mentioned to you that we were running just, just a tad bit behind on our debt reduction uh, project. We, were, we, were, uh, we thought that we were at one point and we'd made an error in the calculation and we ended up thinking that we were $248 short of our goal of $14,000 at the end of, of seven months. And so someone contacted the church office that week and uh, they said, I want to I write a check for $248 so that, we can, so that we can be level. And they did. And we thought, okay, we're right where we need to be. But then when we discovered the error, we realized that we were still $200 short. We were actually a little, little more short than we had anticipated. So I thought, well, we're still pretty close. And just casually mentioned this week to someone. And... Um, after, after we'd had some conversation and were walking away, someone called me over to the side, not here at church, but somewhere else, and handed me these two $100 bills and said, I want to give these today toward our debt reduction. <clears throat> now, I don't normally allow or accept money from people. I don't like to have it in my hands. I want to make sure that you know that this $200 is going in those boxes back there. So, Miss Kim, uh, Kim, Miss Kim, can you believe that? Miss Earlene, will you come and get this $200? And I want you, while everybody is watching, I want you to walk to the back and put these $200 bills in that black box. Now, this is the way we give around here. We don't pass baskets. We write our tithe checks. When we come to church, we put them back there in the black boxes. We do receive tithe and offering. In fact, it's the only way that we are able to do church. We don't get any money from anywhere else. It's in the box, by the way, for those who weren't watching. So, um, you know, we do receive tithe and offering, 
And I thank you that you are so generous. I know this doesn't mean a hill of beans to any of you, but we are part of a denomination, the Church of God. We have many churches across the state of Kentucky. I received a report uh, this week from the state office, and our church ranks in the top 10 Church of God congregations in tithing and giving. We were second in our category this year for world missions contributions, money that went to the world mission. We were second. So I, I say that not, not to be bragging, but to thank you because you have learned through the years that you don't have to have a pastor that comes to the pulpit every week and uh, receives your money and has some ceremony wrapped around it. You've just learned that the Scripture tells us that when we come to the house of the Lord, we are to bring our tithe and our offerings and bring it to the Lord, and we do it without anyone having to prompt us. And when we do those kinds of things, what we're doing is we're aligning ourselves for blessing. Because God said, when you bring your tithe into the storehouse, you can test me in this thing and see if I will not pour out blessings upon you. I'll open the windows of heaven and pour it out upon you so that you will be blessed in such a way that you'll never be able to contain it. Isn't that wonderful promise from God? Now, as Paul Harvey used to say, let me tell you the rest of the story. This individual who brought that $200 to me and said, I want to sow this into our debt reduction fund, told me that when they got home, they went to their mailbox and checked it. And there was a check in the mailbox made out to this individual in the amount of $2,200.22. Now, can you just look at your neighbor and say, ain't God good? I mean, he knows. He knows. And he knows how to bless his people. Now, I'm not going to kid you and say that God does that every time. But every now and again, the Lord comes by and he does something like that just to remind us. If you'll be faithful, I will be faithful. And my faithfulness will always be there. And he will bless his people. Amen. So can we just thank the Lord for what he has done. Amen. What he is doing. God's awesome. I've been serving him a long time, church, and he still surprises me and shocks me at what he is able to do. And I'm always, I always have my eyes wide open because I believe with every day, my Bible tells me that every day there is a new load of mercy that's coming my way. And I may not know what that mercy will look like, but I know that if it comes from the hand of God, I know it will be exactly what I need. Amen? This Wednesday night we received prayer requests. Someone came up before church this morning and said, I asked for prayer for my family member. They weren't given much of any hope whatsoever to survive. But the doctors came by and they gave a report to this family member and said, what we thought you had is not what you have. And you were able to go home. And the Lord, 
did a wonderful, wonderful thing in their life. I was, I was grateful for Shirley Youngblood today, who was telling me about Doug's brother, who's five years older than him. She said, he has struggled with challenges, health challenges, his entire life. They recently gave him a diagnosis that said he had about five months, did you tell me, to live? And she just got a big smile on her face, and she said, he has beat so many illnesses and sicknesses and challenges in his lifetime, I can't wait to see how he's going to face this challenge with faith. Listen, when you're a child of God, you can face anything that comes your way by faith and know that he is well able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to his power that works in us. Amen. God is good. I can honestly say today, prophetically and truthfully, that Emmanuel has come. Emmanuel has come. Jesus has been among us now for many, many years. But Emmanuel is sitting right over here in this corner of the church. And he is still apparently having breakfast over there. Unless somewhere in that it changed over to lunch. I'm not sure. But I can tell I'm going to like this kid right here. If he can eat like that, praise God. He's church of God to the bone. Amen? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, if you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn to Matthew 24. It's interesting to me, somebody came in carrying their Bible, the old, the, you know, in the case, an old bit, said, you know, because of what you're preaching, I decided I'd bring my Bible. And I, I don't, you know, I'm never one to, to require you to bring a Bible or whatever. We use our phones, we use our iPads. I preach from an iPad every week. I, and, you know, we do that in these days of technology. Uh, but I do want to use my Bible this time, and I've got my notes right here. And I've learned through the years as a pastor that there are some subjects and some topics where I need to try the best that I can not to be emotional because we can get into what we think and what we feel and what we really need is to know beyond any shadow of a doubt what Scripture says about a matter. I've always tried to do that when I've been talking about tithing and giving. I've always tried to stay close to what the Word of God says rather than what I think. And the same is true for the next three weeks. We're going to be talking about the end times. And today I'm going to talk from Matthew chapter 24, and we're going, to, we're going to talk about some of the signs that we will see that precede the rapture of the church. So we won't get into the rapture today or the tribulation. That will be next week. Now, if you know any friends or family members that need to be here next week to hear about the two comings of Jesus Christ and the tribulation, then I want you to bring them next week. And let's talk about that. But this week, we're going to talk about what kinds of things that we would be seeing just prior to the rapture of the church. So if you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 24 or your devices open, I want you to begin reading with me at verse 1. Now, some of these scriptures will be on the screens. Some of them won't be on the screens. 
uh, but we'll get caught up and you'll be able to, to hang with me today. So let's begin at verse 1 in chapter 24 of the book of Matthew. I am reading from the CSB version. So if yours reads a little different, it's okay. It's going to be all right. Just put your seatbelt on. We won't crash and burn, okay? Beginning at verse 1, it says, As Jesus left and was going out of the temple, his disciples came up and called his attention to its buildings. And he replied to them, Do you see all these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. Now, let me pause right here and set the stage. Jesus and the disciples had just been involved in great ministry among the people there in that area. They'd been preaching, they'd been teaching, they'd been healing the sick, raising the dead, doing all the things that Jesus did. They were literally on their way now to the Mount of Olives where they were going to rest. Now, you have to understand that in those days, during feast days, there was very little room for people to rest. Every corner of every street was filled up. Sometimes they would put tents up on the corners or on other people's homes or houses. There was just no place to stay. There were no holiday inns. There were no Marriott's. They were no, there were no Motel 6s. No one was leaving the light on for them. So they needed to go somewhere where they could rest. And so they went to the Mount of Olives, which was out of the, the, the town, the city, so that they could rest there. And on the way, the disciples turn and they look at the temple and they point out to Jesus what a beautiful building that is and all of the facilities that were there for people to come to and worship. And he's put, they're pointing out how beautiful it is. And Jesus makes this statement. Notice in verse 2, he says, do you see them all? He said, I say the truth, not one stone of this temple will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. In other words, he is prophetically saying there's going to come a time in the future when this temple that you're seeing and that you're appreciating will no longer be standing here. Not one stone will be stacked upon another because it will be besieged by the enemy and torn down. <clears throat> Let me tell you a little interesting fact about the way they used to build buildings back in those days. Instead of using mortar in certain types of buildings, they would use melted gold in order to stack the stones on top of each other. And so they, there was gold in that temple, and, and it was used as a, a, a mortar system that would hold those blocks together. And what Jesus knew was, is that when this attack came upon the temple and upon Jerusalem, that they knew that there was much gold in that temple, and that they would take that Piece, that, that building apart piece by piece so that they could collect the gold that was between the stones. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus was saying not one stone will be stacked upon the other because it will be taken apart, disassembled stone by stone so that they can access the riches that is in this building. Now, 
This, this prophecy that Jesus spoke came true in A.D. 70 when they were attacked by the enemy, by the Romans, who came in and they took over uh, the area, took over the building, took over everything in A.D. 70. So in A.D. 70, what Jesus said right here actually already has happened and took place. And there will be a rebuilding of the temple someday in the future. But when it is done, it will be done in such a way that it will ultimately bring glory to God. Now, I'm not going to say a whole lot more about that at this time. I want to move on. But in this moment and in this context, when he is telling them what's going to happen, he begins to share with them some signs, some things that will point them to when they can know that the rapture of the church is going to take place. So let's begin at verse 3. Join me if you will. It says, And while he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, Tell us then, will it, when will these things happen? And notice he did not say to them, It will happen in A.D. 70. He just said it will happen in the future. It's something that we have to look forward to. And what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. So notice these things. When will the destruction of Jerusalem happen? They wanted to know. What are the signs of the second coming of Christ? And what will mark the end times? So Jesus uses these things surrounding them and the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And he tells them what they can anticipate. Now, Acts chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 really is the beginning of the end time because that is the beginning of the church age. It says, and it shall come to pass in the last days. Say, in the last days. God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. We know that in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came and the church was started. So in Acts chapter 2, the church age began, and it is the age that we are now currently living in. It's a season of grace. It's a season where the church will prosper. It is a season in which we are able to lead people to the King of, of kings and the Lord of lords. We are able to impact our world because He has anointed us with the Holy Spirit. Why did we receive the Holy Spirit? Is it so that we can speak in tongues? No, it's not. Even though when the Spirit comes, there will be the evidence of speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. That will be a part of it. But it says, it goes on to say, that we shall be His witnesses. And then he lists how that the world will be covered with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we have been in the end times ever since the church was established in Acts chapter 2. So, so when do these signs begin to come? Well, they started then, and they continue to build one upon another upon another until the rapture of the church takes place. So I want to give you 10 this morning. And, and I won't be able to uh, 
unpack them deeply, but I, I basically want to get the information to you. Now listen, I'm just going to begin this entire series by saying to you that if I wanted to, I could, I could preach about prophecy for the rest of my life and never get to the bottom of it because the scripture is filled with prophetic utterances and, and conversation about what life will be in the afterlife and eternity and, and, and before and in the tribulation and in the millennium. I mean, we could spend at least the remainder of this year and probably most of you next year just talking about prophecy. That's not my intent. My intent is to kind of spur us on to this basic knowledge that Jesus Christ is coming again. And we have a responsibility as a church to work and to do his bidding in this world in this time frame when we can make a difference. So I want to point out 10 of these things to you. So let's begin at verse 4, and I'm going to stop reading at verse 8, and then I'm going to talk to you a little bit about some of these things. So verse 4 says, Jesus replied to them, says, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You're going to hear about wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, there will be earthquakes in various places, and all of these events are the beginning of the labor pains. Now, I want you to go back, and I want to begin with the first sign that he mentions. And the first sign is this. It is the rise of false messiahs and religions. I've mentioned to you that when I was a kid, if you had a friend at high school or at school that said, I got religion, we automatically assumed that they were talking about they became a Christian. That's, that's what we assume because Christianity was, uh, was our foundational religious belief system in the United States of America. But now if someone says, I've got religion, honestly, we don't know what they're talking about. It could be anything, and the reason for that is because in these last days, there has been a rise of those who are claiming to be messiahs and starting false religions that are contrary to the Word of God. So in verse 5, it says, many will come in my name. Notice that phrase. Jesus is saying they're going to come and they're going to tell you that they are representing me. But they are not representing me because they are false messiahs. What they are saying is inconsistent with our plan, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they are not speaking the truth. They are trying to deceive many. That's what it says. They will say, I am the Messiah. I am the one that you should be looking to. And they will deceive many. Now, we have had over 1,100 leaders of different types of religions in just the last 50 years alone who have risen to say, I am Jesus Christ. They are not ashamed and they are not afraid to declare that they are the answer to this world's problems. 
There are others that might not say that I am the Christ, but they will say, if you'll follow me, and if you'll pay attention to my teaching, I can lead you out of all of these problems. They are setting the stage for the rise of the Antichrist that will come halfway in the middle of the tribulation. Now, I'm not going to get into that today, but I'm saying this to say to you, you don't need to worry about who the Antichrist is. You don't need to worry about it because I believe that Scripture bears out that the church will not be here when the Antichrist is revealed. We'll talk about it next week. So if we're not worried about or concerned about who the Antichrist is, what should we be concerned about? And he tells us very clearly here is that there will be many who will come and say, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. In other words, there are people who will be crazy enough to accept their words and to believe that what they're saying is true. Deception is the first thing. Over 1,100 leaders. One of those leaders is a self-proclaimed Christ. His name is Pastor Apollo, and and he lives in the Philippines and leads a large group of people there, and he does it by saying that he is Christ incarnate. He has told his people, I am Christ in your very presence. Now that's just one example of the kind of of false messiahs and false teachers and preachers that we will experience and come in contact with in this world. So the first one is that there will be many false messiahs and religions. Number two. In verses 6 and 7, we see that there will be wars in this world. Let's read verses 6 and 7. It says, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. I'll get to that in just a few moments. But let's talk about this idea of wars and rumors of wars. You can't even turn on the TV these days to watch the news without there being some reporting about wars that are taking place. We're told uh, we've been able to, it just since 1945, in 17, excuse me, in 78 short years, there have been over 300 wars that have been documented in the world. I heard a report this past week that says that now with a lot of the wars and rumors of wars that are taking place in our world, that they're happening more rapidly in the world. And almost every day, a new war is being started with fighting and infighting in nations and and within the nation, civil wars. And that number of 300 verified wars have now grown to over 800 verified wars in just the last few years. years. Now we're talking about people who are shooting each other and killing each other and burying the dead and taking land and taking their stuff. 
We're talking about wars that are actively uh, pursued in our lifetime right now. And now there is some talk about we're not far from World War III. This idea of Russia and Ukraine, and now people are picking their sides. You're either for Ukraine or you're for, you're for Russia. Which are, which are you for? And then you, you uh, align yourself with them. And now it's getting to the place where threats are being uh, thrown around. There's talk about nuclear weapons now. We know, we know that there are nuclear weapons. And at least, at least that we know about, at least 17 nations who can hit the red button at any time and launch nuclear weapons that can reach a place that are thousands and thousands of miles away. Do you know where most of those nuclear weapons are pointed? They're pointed at the United States of America. They're pointed at our major population centers. New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Houston, Texas, almost all of those areas have to be ready at any given moment for some crazy person to push the red button that will launch those things. I'm thankful to live in a nation that has the kind of technology that will allow us to intercept those kinds of things over the oceans so that they will explode there rather than in our nation. But don't let that lure, lure, put you to sleep. Because we know from just a few years ago that anything can happen. You remember, you, you, you remember September the 11th? I mean, it's possible these kinds of things can happen. And what Jesus is saying is this is going to be a regular thing from now until the day that he comes back again and raptures the church away. Wars and rumors of war. Number three. There will be an increase in hunger and food insufficiency. Uh, uh, an increase in hunger and food insufficiency. Look at verse 7. Look at the last part. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Let's look at that word famine. It just simply means the lack of nutrition, the lack of food. Did you know, are you aware that there are nations in this world that don't even have running water that they can have access to on a daily basis. You know, for us, we can go down to the store and we can get this and it will soothe us immediately. If your refrigerator is like mine, I have cold water in my refrigerator almost all the time. I can pay a water bill and know that if I need to flush a toilet, I can flush a toilet. I've got, I've got all that. You have it too in America. There are places that don't have it. Several years ago when I was on a mission trip in, uh, in, in Ghana, I asked them. I, I mean, we'd been out doing ministry, and I, I needed to go to the restroom. And I asked them, I said, where's the restroom? And they pointed to two stones, two rocks over here behind a little petition. And they said, that's the restroom. And I said, how do you use that? I, I don't even know how to use that. And they explained to me, you get up on the two stones, 
so that your feet will be out of the urine. You stand on the top of the stones, you hold on to the wall, and you let her rip, tater chip. <laughs> That's the way it is. And this is in a modern time. They don't have the kind of facilities that we have. They don't have the kind of food base that we have. There are places all over the world that do not have adequate food. The New York Times reported that there are 40,000 deaths every day. Say every day. Every day in the world due to malnutrition. They die simply because they don't have enough food to eat for their bodies. The USA Today reported that 90% of all the babies born in the next 20 years will be born in the countries that are the least able to feed them. So in other words, 90% of the babies born in the world will be born in a place where they are likely to die because they have no food to eat. Now, I don't want to make any personal commentary on that other than the fact that it seems like we waste an awful lot of money in this world on things that don't really matter when there are people that could live if they just had something to eat. But he says, in Scripture, he said, in the last days... There will be an increase in hunger and food insufficiency. Let me just add to, to that statement this. We know how quickly our food supply chain can be taken away from us. We learned that just a few months ago. There are ships that bring massive amounts of food to and from nations all around the world. And smart dictators know that if they want to get someone and do damage, great damage, they can take the food supply very quickly. So in the last days, we know that this is possible. Number four. Go back to verse 7, the last line. And the last line. It says there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. How many of you have ever been in an earthquake? Can I see your hands? Scary, scary thing. I, when we lived in California several years ago going to college, we were in our little apartment there and we were in an earthquake. I mean, you talk about feeling helpless. There's nowhere to go. You, get, you, you, you just have to try to get outside as quickly as you can. But even then, it's possible that the earth can just open up and swallow people in. People die all the time through earthquakes and natural disasters. Historians have calculated that earthquakes have increased more than 2,000% since Columbus discovered the New World. So since Columbus came and discovered the United States, they have been able to track an increase. I'm not talking about just 2,000 earthquakes. I'm talking about the incidences of earthquake has increased by 2,000% since that time. Time Magazine states that there have been more earthquakes in the last 20 years than we saw in the previous 100 years. So they are becoming more and more frequent in the world. Someone has suggested 
that the truth is that the earth is groaning for the revelation of the sons of God and for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are, there are, there are differences in, in opinion here. And I just want to point out two possibilities. There are those who are theologians and histori historians who are just saying because of the absolute mass of people that are now living on this earth, that just the number of people and the weight of buildings and the stuff that goes to sustain our lives pressing upon the earth's core is able to cause the ground to become shifting because it cannot hold the weight of people and buildings and tankers and everything else that you could imagine. And so the earth is struggling to maintain and sustain earth. You know, people are worried about, well, will the earth be able to handle it? Listen, I'm not worried about it at all because God is the one who created this earth and God has a plan for this earth and he's got it all in his books and he knows exactly what he's going to do. Don't lose any sleep tonight about whether or not you need to go on a diet because you're causing an earthquake in the earth because that's not the way that it is. <clears throat> the other group says... That because the trees praise the Lord, and because the birds praise the Lord, and because all of the animal world praises the Lord, and because the wind when it blows is praising the Lord, that the earth wants to get in on the worship service. And so they just begin to quake and let the Lord know that we know that you're in control, that all is well. Now listen, we don't know. You know, people speculate about this kind of stuff all the time. I heard one preacher say that Jesus loves music. And so when he starts seeing the church worship him and praise him and sing to him, that he's got a big ottoman at the foot of his throne. Uh, and he just starts tapping his toe a little bit. And then he taps a little more harder and a little faster because he is just enjoying the music. And that's what causes earthquakes. Now, you and I know that there's no truth to that whatsoever. That is something that somebody thought up in their mind and decided that they would just say that and is kind of humorous and funny but let me tell you something the the fact of the matter is that as we draw closer and closer to the rapture of the church we're going to hear more and more news reports about this earth uh, crying out and saying come Lord Jesus come Lord Jesus and we will see it number five verse seven now, I want you to go back to this word famine. You see it there. It says there will be famines and earthquakes. Now, when we think about famine, we think about the lack of food, and that's true. It indicates that there's not enough nutrition for people. Let me tell you another meaning for this word famine. It can mean epidemics. Epidemics that rise... Because we are not nutritionally healthy. I'll let that sink in for a minute. We eat all kinds of food now these days. You know, back in the days we used to cook at home a lot. We used to, we used to have some sort of control over what goes in our bodies. But now we eat so much fast food. We eat greasy food. We eat animals that are unclean. 
We, we eat all kinds of things, listen, that are not healthy for our bodies. And because of that, when we are not healthy, then it causes these kinds of epidemics to have free reign in our bodies and in our nations and in our world. It allows malnutrition to be the norm rather than being full of nutrition and healthy. And so there are some who believe, and I, I can see this, that in the last days there's a rise in incurable diseases and sickness and pestilences that come into this world. Now, I don't want to get into a debate with anybody about COVID, but we all know that COVID covered this earth. And whether people died from it or with it, let's debate that on another day. But we can at least agree that it swept this globe and many were impacted by it. Many were sick and it was just a minor irritation. Others were sick and it took their lives. Listen, COVID is just one of many diseases and pestilences that is visited upon our world. You hear more about cancer these days than, than you ever did in the past. Heart disease, one of the number one killers. The scripture even tells us that in the last days that men's hearts will fail them Right? And it'll, it'll be because of their bodies not being able to maintain the healthiness that they need. So, pestilences, incurable sickness. There are new strains of cancer. There are new strains of malaria. There are new strains of tuberculosis. And there are a variety of other illness, illnesses that are rising once again. The other day, Aaron called and said, pray for Henry. Said he said, he's not feeling well. I said, what's wrong? Got a fever? And said, he's got little red dots all over his body. Now, if you're my age, when you think about little red dots, what do you think about? Chicken pox. I think about the measles. If you want to think about chicken pox, go ahead. I still got scars up here everywhere. Chicken pox get red once you've scratched the head off of them. That's, that's what mom used to say. Don't scratch those things. The measles is rising in the world. Now, again, I'm not here to debate, you know, do, do we vaccinate our kids and all that. No, don't, don't put that on me today. I'm not, I'm not here to fight about that kind of stuff or argue about that. I'm just telling you the facts are that we are seeing a rise in measles around the world. I don't know what's causing it. I don't know where it's coming from. But all I'm telling you is, is that every time I read a report that there's more cancer, that there's more tuberculosis, that there's more measles, that there's more chicken pox, that there's more of all these kinds of things, then it causes me just to want to say, Jesus is coming soon. Amen. We don't have to worry about it because he's going to take care of it. Number six, go to verse nine now, if you will. Then they will hand you over to be persecuted and they will say, kill you. 
You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Now, let me just explain something to you. This is what we call a dual prophecy. Because he's first of all talking to his disciples. And he is saying to them, there will come a day when they're going to kill you. Did you know that all of the disciples were martyred for the name of Jesus Christ except for Judas? And Judas chose suicide. It all came true. Jesus said, they will kill you. And they did. But now the other side of that prophecy is... In context of what he's saying, he's saying there's going to come a day when they're going to kill Christians all over the world. Let me tell you, it's happening even as we speak in other countries and in other nations. For instance, in China, in North Korea, in Central Africa, and in many other places, believers die for their faith. Do you remember the story? of Daniel and the three Hebrews. And they said, you're either going to bow to our God or we're going to put you in the fiery furnace. And they said, well, that's okay. We're not bowing to your God. You know the story. And they chose to stand for their God rather than to give in. And they said, we're going to make it hot on you seven times hotter than it's ever been before. And they said, we really don't care what you do. We're not going to bow because our God is able to deliver us from your hands. But if not, we're living in the days where there will be Christians all over this world who will have to say, But if not, I am not going to bow down to a false god. I am not going to bow down to what you're telling me to bow down to. I am not going to receive what the devil is handing out. I am a child of God, the Most High God. The Spirit of the living God lives and dwells within me. And I'm here to announce to anybody who will listen today, greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. God has never asked me to give my life for Him. He has probably never asked you to give your life for Him. He gave His life for us. But I'm telling you, there are people all over this world that are giving their lives for Jesus Christ on a regular basis. In India, they are coming into churches. They are going up to the pulpit and taking the pastors and dragging them out into the street and murdering them right in front of their very congregations. So are we living in the last days? I think we are. Number seven, arise in wickedness. Look at verse 10. Then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Now I want you to look at that term, fall away. He's talking about people who have followed Christ and have turned their backs. They have tasted of the goodness of God. And they have walked away and they have fallen away. You guys up there, throw that that slide of flamey on the board if you can. Now, 
Go ahead and sigh if you want to sigh. That'd be all right with me. But this report came out, reported by the Today Show, the first weekend in August. Let me introduce you to the number one selling Christian artist on iTunes as of August the 3rd this year. Flamey Grant. Does that sound a little bit like Amy Grant? This man is masquerading as a woman and is singing for the Christian people who will listen to his music. Come down here where I can read it to you. Here's what the article says. This is a direct quote from the article. Grant started doing drag during the COVID-19 pandemic lockdown. Eventually, look at this, her pastor, her pastor at her church at the time, a church that she called really progressive, inclusive, LGBTQ plus affirming, asked her to give a sermon in drag. Next, next, next slide, if you will. She says that part of the reason she returned to Christianity was to, watch it, help children. You see it? Going through the same isolating experience she endured. These kids need to know that evangelicalism is not the only option available to them. They can have a faith and they can be a Christian and it doesn't have to look like that version of Christianity. Next slide. Looking forward, Grant's work is driven by her hope to be an inspiration for youth and potentially paving the way for others to join her in her creative space. People want to tell you that you can't do that, Grant says. You can't do drag in church. You can't do drag, period. I'm like, but you can. Are we living in the last days? Are we even aware that things like this are going on? We're not talking about a pop artist here. We're talking about number one song on the iTunes chart for Christian music. Think about that. Think about artists that started their careers or started their, their, their lives in church singing in the choir. People like Beyonce, who is now married to Jay-Z, and the two of them together are committed in some way to the Illuminati. Look it up. Just look it up. We're talking about people that are trying to influence our kids. And we would be willing to raise them up to a place where they have the influence that they don't deserve. I want to be careful how I say this. 
But on the day of judgment, I sure would not want to be the pastor who said to this man, it's not a woman, this man dressed up like a woman, would you do a sermon in drag? Now, now let me lighten it a little bit. How many of you would like to see me do a sermon in drag? One of the largest churches in the world in Texas, led by an individual who everybody would know his name if I called it, and I'm not going to do that, allowed Kanye West to come and preach in his church. You may not know who Kanye West is because he is now known as Yee. I don't know. Ye, yay. Let me tell you something. If I ever open the pulpit here to somebody to preach a sermon in drag, or if I ever open the pulpit here for somebody to come in and preach to you and their life is not consistent with the Word of God, please fire me the very minute that that happens. Please drag me out into the parking lot and hang me up by my big toe because I don't deserve the ability or the honor to be the pastor of a congregation. Now, what am I saying here? I'm talking about a rise in wickedness. I'm talking about things that we never dreamed possible. And I, I could get emotional right now, and I, I, I just start talking about this at a rate that would absolutely blow your mind because it's all around us. But listen, just because the world has gone wicked doesn't mean the church should go wicked. We've got to stand upon the holiness of God. Because in these last days, the world's not going to tell other people about the saving nature of Jesus Christ. It's going to have to come from His church. It's our responsibility. Lord, give me the strength to go to number eight now. Look at verse 12. The love of believers will grow cold. Now notice this and the way that it's spoken. Because of lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. Once again, Lord, help me to just keep my emotions as much out of this as I possibly can. But let me just tell you, in the last days, believers no longer love Jesus Christ the way that they once did. Churches are now having to start their worship services with carnivals on the parking lot to get people to even come to church in the first place. Because they won't come to church. Because they've got other things that they're doing. They've got other things that are more important to them. They want the Holy Spirit to speak to them but the Holy Spirit speaks to us by and through His Word. 
The Bible says the Holy Spirit will teach us all things, but how in the world can He teach us if we don't read this book? I'm not mad at anybody. I'm saying we're living in the last days. And I'm not wanting anybody to raise your hands, but I just simply want to ask you, when's the last time that you set, set time aside at your house where you just, word of God, word of God, word of God. <clears throat> I'm not talking about scrolling on Facebook and every tenth one getting a prophetic word that's halfway not true on Facebook. I'm talking about when's the last time that you grabbed your Bible and went somewhere and sat down and said, Lord, I need for you to speak to me. I don't want to hear from Flamey Grant. I don't want to hear from anybody else. I don't want to hear somebody who just speaks something that will tickle my itching ear because it feels good in the moment. I want somebody to help me understand what does the Word of God say to my life because that's the only way that I'm going to make it. People won't read the Bible anymore. They sure not going to come to Bible study. You okay? Every church that I know of either has Sunday school or midweek Bible study of some sort, programs designed for children so that they can come and hear the stories. I don't have permission to tell this, so I won't give the names. Somebody who's sitting here this morning. Ask their husband, how do you know that? Ask their friend, how do you know that? And they said, well, when we were kids, we went to Sunday school. We learned these things in Sunday school. You see, there, that's a word from the Lord. We need to start Sunday school back. Well, you know, if I thought you'd come, we'd do it. But we don't even have half of the crowd that's here this morning to come to Bible study on midweek for whatever reasons. You say, okay now, Pastor, you're making me mad. Well, I'm not really trying to make you mad. I'm, I'm trying to tell you that our relationship with Jesus Christ should be greater and stronger than anything else in this world and that this world has to happen. And, and we need to present ourselves to Him. But we don't do it. The latest statistics say that people used to go to church on a regular basis when they were described as regular attenders. They would go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. That was considered a regular attender. In today's church, people now come to church about every two weeks on Sunday morning only, but never on Sunday night, never on Wednesday night. And if you have a revival, you better plan it so that on the first night, that evangelist goes around the church and spits on everybody and throws them down in the floor, or else nobody's coming for the rest of the week. You okay? Let me tell you something. I go through stuff just like you go through stuff. My family goes through stuff just like your family goes through stuff. And I can tell you that in these last days, I am not interested at all in pulling away from the Spirit of God, pulling away from my relationship with Jesus Christ, pulling away from His blessed book and His Word. I'm not at all interested in creating space and distance between us. I want to be as close to Jesus as I can possibly get 
it so that he can speak to me in these end times and help me to become the person he's called me to be. Can I close with some good news? I know that some of you, you've been clenched up for so long now that you can't, you're just hoping I'll move on. I'm, re- I'm ready to move on. Give you some good news. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, This good news of the kingdom, somebody say this good news, of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. That's a fancy way of saying Jesus will not come again until everyone has received the gospel of Jesus Christ. I didn't say accept it, but they've heard it. Let me tell you something. Every Sunday, our church service goes across the internet without fail. We're reaching hundreds and at times thousands of people around the world. I get emails every week from people that don't even live in the United States. But they heard the message that you helped me and enabled me to preach. And I can preach it and they'll send me an email. And they'll tell me what a blessing that it was. Listen, when I preach and it goes out on the internet and people hear it, You are part of that blessing. You made that possible. We do these little things now that they're called shorts. They're just little one minute, 60 seconds at Spirit Life. And we put them out maybe a couple times every week. And we get hundreds of people that watch those. And you know what that makes that go out even at an exponential rate? Is when you watch it and then you like it. And then you share it. And when you like it, and when you share it, it goes to to many, many more people. What am I saying? I'm saying that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We will not operate in lack. We will not operate uh, in a hindered way. He has opened the doors of heaven and made it possible for anybody who wants to use social media and the internet to lift up and exalt the name of Jesus. Uh, You can do it. And you may win somebody to Jesus Christ. Wherever you are, you can make a difference. Wherever you are. We got one lady here in the church that she works at the airport. She's there with TSA. She sees hundreds of bags go by every, every day. She watches them. And she told me, she said, when those bags go across my conveyor belt, I pray for the person that owns that bag. That God would honor His Word in their life. Bless them. Don't tell me that you can't witness. Don't tell me that you can't make a difference. You can. And God has called us to help get the Word of God, the Gospel, into every corner of the world. And with His help, we're doing it. And I have one more, and then I'm going to quit. Now listen, it's 12.06. I know that some of you are having an anxiety attack right now. I get it. I don't normally take this kind of time, but this kind of subject, there's a lot here that has to be unpacked. And I'm going as fast as I can to try to do justice to the Word of God. I'm not going to hold you a lot longer. But I have one more thing that I want to share with you. You have to understand that God loves Israel. He loves Israel. And let me tell you, 
It's never a good idea to stand against Israel. Politicians that attempt to do that, they just set themselves up for failure because they're not just fighting the the United States of America, they're, they're fighting God Himself. In 1948, after Israel had been scattered all around the earth, all around different places, in 1948, Israel was reestablished as a nation. And Israelites now, Jewish people, have been coming home for all of these years. All these years, they're coming back to their homeland. They're coming back. They're coming back. I, I, don't, I don't mean to trivialize this at all, but we had a little black schnauzer named, uh, what was that dog's name? Bailey. Thank you. She never did like me, so we didn't have a great relationship. <clears throat> but she got old, and she was getting ready to die. And I let her out to go to the bathroom one day, and she didn't come home. And I read somewhere that a lot of times dogs will leave when they're getting ready to pass away because they don't want to traumatize uh, their loved ones. And so she was gone, and she was gone the next day, and she was gone the next day, and for three days she was gone and we just assumed that she'd either picked up we'd tried to find her locate her drive call she was chipped we couldn't find anywhere where the the chip would locate her whatsoever and so we just basically thought she's gone and then one day i decided i was going to go drink my coffee out on the deck three days later i opened the door and when i opened the door it didn't even get out and here came bailey running in her tail just a wagon like crazy as an old dog is you know she'd dance and i don't know where she'd been i don't know what she'd been doing but she had come home she was glad to be back home with her family and great joy erupted in the household when bailey came back home now here's what i'm trying to say to you and because of circumstances and people who have hated israel they've been driven all over the face of this globe but i'm telling you jesus is bringing them back home to their homeland and restoring israel before he comes back again that's what he's talking about in verse 32 and 33 come on to the music if you will He said, learn this lesson of the fig tree. Now many theologians believe that this term fig tree is a reference to Israel. It says, as soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, then you know that summer is near. And in the same way, he says, when you see all these things that we just talked about, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near. He's even at the door. Let me tell you something, church. I believe with everything in me that he is at the door. I don't believe there needs to be another sign that's fulfilled, not one. Some theologians say that it's always correct to say that the rapture of the church and Jesus' next coming, He's going to come twice. I'll tell you about that next week if you'll come back. But the next time He comes, It will come 
to rapture away this church, He will come. And I'm looking forward to that day. All of these things, instead of getting us upset and angry, and I, I confess to you, when I was talking about flaming, I got upset. I apologize for that. But we are to live our lives with anticipation that Jesus is coming again. It's coming soon. And listen, if you're not ready to meet Him, let me tell you, I would do it right this very instant. So I, I may have time. You may, but you may not. You know how fast Jesus is going to come back. Do this with me. Just blink your eyes one time. Did you do it? It was probably pretty fast. Unless you have like arthritis in your eyes or something like that. It might take a little longer. In the twinkling of an eye, we are going to go from this right here. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, the Bible says there will be a woman working in the mill beside another woman. And when that time comes, one will be taken and the other will remain. It says there will be two men that are in the field working together. And in that moment, one will take it, be taken and one will remain. Wouldn't it be horrible if we were all gathered right here in this house? And Jesus came to rapture the true church. And you didn't go. Because you weren't ready. Because you see, He's not coming for religious people. He often condemned the religious people. He's coming for the relationship people. The ones who know Him. And love Him. Will you stand with me? this morning. Thank you for letting me preach like this to you today. I, I know that you didn't want to run the aisles or anything like that. I'm, dry, I'm just trying to let you know that Jesus is coming. We don't, we don't have time to play games. His coming is imminent. He could come today. There, there's not anything that would prevent Him, I don't believe. In my way of looking at scripture I, I can't find anything that is left to do that would prevent him from coming to rapture this church away his church but you're only going to go if you're ready so with every eye closed every head bowed let me ask you today if Jesus did return today or if you left this earth because of death, maybe an accident, something like that, if you left, Jesus came. Are you ready to go? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Have you asked Him to forgive you of your sins and to remove them as far as the east is from the west? Should never be remembered against you again. If that's you and you need Jesus in your life, would you just slip your hand up wherever you are and let me see so that I can pray with you and for you? Wherever you are, 
All right, I see that hand. I see that. Now keep your eyes closed and your head bowed if you will. Let me speak to that one that has the hand up right now. Let me just tell you. If you want to come down to this altar this morning and let us pray with you, I would love to invite you to come. But I also want you to know that you don't have to come to this altar to be converted. You can simply believe in your heart and speak with your mouth that Jesus is who He says He is and He will come into your heart and He will forgive you of your sins and you will become a Christian in the very moment that you do that. So if you want to come and let us pray with you to encourage you, strengthen you, then go ahead and step out right now and come down here. And I promise you, someone will meet you here and you will not be alone. And if not, where you are, just call out to Jesus and He will forgive you. Maybe your family wants to come with you. That would be great. Family, grab them and come. And we'll pray with all of you today. Listen, this is serious business today. We need to be ready for the soon and imminent first return of the second return that's going to take place with Jesus. Are you ready? Alright, everybody look up here. Now if you're saved, you don't have anything to worry about today. You don't have anything to worry about. You say, oh, well, you know, I think I have to go through that tribulation thingy. No, you don't. When the rapture of the church takes place, we're all going to get up out of here. The dead in Christ are going to rise up out of their graves, and they're going to be resurrected first. And then you and I who are saved and under the blood of Jesus Christ, we're going to rise and meet them together in the sky where we will ever be with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ha <laughs> ha!